Exodus chapter 20. Working our way through the Ten Commandments, I appreciate JT preaching last week on the Sabbath command. We're turning a corner today. The first four commandments in the ten, sometimes referred to as the first table, and then the commands after that, five through ten, referred to as the second table. The, the first table of commandments deal primarily with our responsibilities to God, what God commands us to do in response to Him, in worship and in reverence of Him. The second table, or the second portion of these commands, starting with this uh, fifth command today, deals primarily with the way that we interact with one another. So even right here at the start, notice that one of the things that, uh, that God's people are commanded and instructed to do by way of thinking, by way of approaching life, is that we have to think about life through two spheres. One, a grateful response for our redemption that's going to be exercised or demonstrated in our response directly to God himself. But then also in recognizing the fact that this redemption that we enjoy is something that we share with one another, there ought to be a way in which that recognition causes us to respond with grace and generosity to one another because we are all enjoying this gift together. So a right response to God's work of salvation will always be, and you see this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, a right response to God's salvation, to His redemption, is always going to be a response to God and then a response to God in the way that we relate to one another and to those around us in this world. So that Jesus himself says, the whole law can ultimately be summed up in two commands. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, you will love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on those two concepts, on those two commands. So we're moving into this shift where the commands are focus primarily on the way that we interact with one another. All right. Let me just say briefly before we actually read the command for today and we actually get into the text, please don't misunderstand when we say that these commands, 5 through 10, deal with the way that we interact with one another. We don't want to have an unnecessary or a false um, separation between the first four commands and commands 5 through 10, right? In other words, as if these commands are the way that we worship God and these commands are the way that we play nice with one another, right? In fact, everything that we do in our interactions with one another, rightly understood, is itself an expression of worship to the God who has saved us. Our, our putting to death the deeds of the flesh our selfish natures and impulses so that we can serve one another is not something that we would be compelled to do were it not for the fact that God has made us into new people and gives us new directions and new commands. So while you do think about, and as we will think about very clearly, how these commands shape the way that we relate to one another, please, please, please hear me when I say this. Even when we think about how we relate and live together, with one another, even that ought to be seen through the grid of an act of worship to the God who has saved us. 
So, Exodus chapter 20. Skip down with me to verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us a right understanding of this command and instruction, that we would find it not only to be wise, but to be good, and to be a source, a means by which we find greater joy and assurance in the life that we have in Christ through our trust and obedience of this command. Thank you for the model and the example we have in the person of your own Son, Jesus Christ, who lived in such a way that he perfectly honored his parents, and he perfectly honored his heavenly Father. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us the ability and the wisdom to know how to do that in a way that pleases you and is a service to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the command that all you parents have been waiting for, right? If your kid was not feeling like coming to church today, they were going to be here. You were going to drag them out of that bed and get them seated in a pew whether they wanted to or not. That's partially true. That's partially the way that it should be. Kids ought to hear this command. Let me give you fair warning, though. If you as parents or grandparents, or let me just say it this way, if you as adults are sitting here thinking, oh, this is going to be good, this is my time to exchange the sideways glances to my kids to hear if they're listening and paying attention. All right? We are all in for a rude awakening. This command, surprisingly, but maybe it shouldn't be surprising, is not a command that's given to minors. It includes minors, but it is not limited to them. Let's start, as we've been doing with most of these commands, by saying what is it that this command prescribes, expects of us, and what does it prohibit? This is, interestingly enough, we won't spend time on this, but of, all the, but of the Ten Commandments, all of them are framed as a prohibition except for two, right? So, you will have no other gods. That's a, that's a prohibition. You will not do this. The command to keep the Sabbath and the command to honor your father and mother are the only two commands that are given in a positive way, framed positively. So let's say what it is that this command is prescribing and what it's prohibiting. When we begin to look and dig in and take uh, a, moment's, uh, a moment of time and reflection on this fifth commandment, and we see how this factors in and is carried along throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture, I think that we could say in sort of a, a very broad summary sort of way that what the fifth commandment prescribes is age-appropriate respect in attitude, action, and speech. Age-appropriate respect given to fathers and mothers in attitude, action, and speech. And then the flip side of that, what does the fifth command prohibit? Because everything that's commanded comes with a prohibition. Every prohibition comes with a command. So if it's telling us to honor and respect fathers and mothers, we might say that the fifth command prohibits any kind of abuse, disobedience, or disrespect shown towards 
fathers and mothers. So that's just in a, in a very broad sort of way. Let's, let's look at what this fifth commandment means in terms of meaning and application. That's the first thing we want to do. And then the second thing that we want to do, after looking at the meaning and application of the fifth commandment in its original context, then we want to take a few moments before we're done to look at the expansion of the fifth commandment for God's new covenant people. So, the meaning and application of the fifth commandment. If you were in Sunday school today, which I'm sure all of you were, we were in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 starts off with Paul saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he goes on and he quotes from this command, Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you all the days that you live in the earth. This is the first command with a promise. All right, let, me, let me take, because I think this might be a, a helpful way for us to begin to dig in. Let me take what Paul says there in Ephesians 6, 1, and use that as sort of a foil or a way for us to compare and contrast what is said or what is not said here in Exodus 20. This is not pitting Old Testament against New Testament, understand. Right? Rather, what we're wanting to see is the richness of God's word that we so easily miss or pass over. So in Ephesians 6.1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents. Exodus 20, verse 12, does not say, Obey your father and mother. It says, Honor your father and mother. That's a pretty straightforward observation, right? Okay, so the one thing that we want to say when we're looking at this And we'll say right off the bat, if you are on the younger end of the demographic in here, your ears need to perk up as you hear this. But once again, if you're not on the younger end of the demographic, you need to be making mental note of this because this applies to you too, as we'll see in a moment. Because of the fact that this command says, honor your father and mother, this command says much more than to simply obey your father and mother. Or we might say it this way, it is possible for someone to obey their father and mother and yet not honor them. Right? Any of you who have been parents, or you don't even need to be a parent, if you've been around kids, you know this to be true. Anthony, Sean, Seth, Aaron, Leah, Casey, it's chore time. We need to clean the house. It's a disaster. Mere obedience to that command when father or mother gives that instruction, mere obedience looks like things being picked up and perhaps, if we're lucky, being put in their proper place. What oftentimes or what sometimes can occur with that act of obedience is a lack of honor which is signified by the stomping of the feet, the tantrums, right, the slamming of the doors, the asking why do we need to do this now, we just cleaned the house yesterday, right, you, you see, you can, you can obey a command from a father or mother and yet in that, in that obeying, in that obedience, not honor them 
Honoring your father and mother has as much to do with your attitude and with your disposition as it does your actions. The word that's used for honor is in the word group in the Old Testament used as a noun. It's the word kavod that is usually used in reference to God's glory. When it talks about we saw the glory, the kavod of the Lord. God is someone of substance. He is weighty, and He is significant. When we see His glory, we glorify Him. We acknowledge that in the way that we address Him, in the way that we listen to Him, in the way that we respond to Him. That verb is what's being used here in our translation that says, honor your father and mother. It's to give honor or to give a certain kind of respect to them. Which means it is more than just a mere external response to father and mother, but that the fifth commandment is actually pressing in on your heart and mind in how you view and think about your father and mother. And not only how you think about your father and mother, but how you address them and how you respond to them. That's honoring your father and mother. It involves attitude, action, and speech. Parents, particularly those of you who have children who are still in the house under your roof. This is a command that you can present to your children. You ought to, right? God's Word is good. I want my kids to know. You can present this command to your children, but you are not going to be able to simply parrot back that command and then sit back on the couch and let them obey the fifth command. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses rehearses, reviews the Ten Commandments. So we have them here in Exodus chapter 20 and then again in Deuteronomy 5. And of course, as you would expect, the command to honor your father and mother shows up in Deuteronomy 5. But then in the next chapter, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses is talking about the importance of God's law for his people, he addresses parents specifically, and he says, you shall diligently teach them to your children. You shall speak of them when you rise up in the morning, when you're walking along the road, when you're settling down at night. In other words, parents, although... Your children are being told or being commanded to honor you and to respect you in their attitude, action, and words. That is something that they are not by nature equipped to do. We are all by nature rebels who do not want to honor authority. That is not natural for us. So graciously, lovingly, not only do we as parents and we as a church body need to give instructions about honoring your father and mother, or by extension, honoring those who are in authority, 
But there needs to be a way in which we understand and recognize, having once been young ourselves, having once been foolish ourselves, that we all are in desperate need of not just hearing what the command is, but being explained and shown what it looks like to carry that command out. So yes, by all means, expect children and teenagers, as they live under the roof of their parents especially, expect them to show honor and respect to their parents, and yet... Don't mistakenly think that as long as you just quote this command to them, that it's just going to magically filter into their heart and mind so that they know how to do the command. It takes hard work to teach and instruct and to train, and it takes exceptionally hard work to teach, instruct, and and train in a very patient, deliberate way. So the command here to honor your father and mother is not merely to obey. It includes obedience. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that. The second thing that we want to take note of by way of the meaning and application of this, if we go back again and draw a contrast to what Paul says in Ephesians 6, Paul says in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. That's not what the fifth command says. Does anyone see the term children in Exodus 20, verse 12? Does it say, children, honor your father and mother? Okay, that's a hard no. Right? It does not say, children, honor your father and mother. It says, categorically, as a universal command, Honor your father and mother. I think the reason that it says, and I'm going to show you, it's not just me wishing this to be so, but because the scriptures bear this out, I think the reason that it doesn't say children honor your parents is because the command to honor your parents is applicable not only to children, minors living under the roof of their parents, but is applicable and relevant even to grown children with older parents. In other words, we never age out of the fifth commandment. Let me give you some reasons, some some evidence from the Scriptures as to how we know that this is not an age-specific command. Just one chapter later, in Exodus chapter 21, in verses 15 and 17, As we move from the Ten Commands to a further expansion of the law in more specific detail, we find these statements, Exodus 21, 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And then in verse 17, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That doesn't sound like the regular, normal interaction of a little second grader with his parents. Am I, am I right? All right, some of you are very hesitant. I don't know what that means about your kids at home. 
Right? But typically, this kind of violent response, this kind of aggression, both physically and verbally, is something that you would not associate with a child. It sounds like what's being described here is the kind of action that an older member of the people, an older member of the covenant community, would do to or towards their parent, perhaps even after they're a full-grown adult and their parents are aging, up in years. Another one that goes along with this, later on in Deuteronomy, you don't necessarily need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 20, and I'll give you Deuteronomy 21, 20, there's a situation where in the law it says, if anyone has a rebellious son or daughter, it's, it's referring primarily to sons, but it's a, it's a general application. If anyone has a rebellious son, all right, the father and mother is to take that rebellious son, bring them to the elders of the town, and say, we have a rebellious son who will not listen to us. And then as evidence of the fact that this son is rebellious and incorrigible, they are to say he is a glutton and a drunkard. Does that sound like any seven-year-olds you know? No. A glutton and a drunkard. In other words, that picture gives even, even more clarity to the statement about not striking or cursing your parents that these are parents who have brought their child up to adulthood that there is some manner of influence or relationship that the parent still maintains with their child, they are not walking in covenant faithfulness. It's creating issues within the home or within the clan or the tribe, and this sin needs to be dealt with. In other words, it was to be expected that not only when you were a child would you honor your father and mother, but that you would continue to honor your father and mother even when you reached adulthood. Now, that honor will look differently, no doubt. It will sound different. There will be different constraints or limitations. But there is no doubt that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there was an expectation that the parental bond with sons and daughters was something that was meant to last for the duration of our lives. Hold your place here in Exodus 20 and go, for example, look at what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, start at verse 3. The Pharisees and the scribes are confronting Jesus about why his disciples don't hold to the man-made traditions. 
and Jesus comes back with this response. Matthew 15, 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. That's Exodus. Notice, though, verse 5. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying that one of the ways that, that we honor our parents, at least in Matthew 15 is by materially caring and supporting them in their old age. Because the problem that he's addressing is, by using some religious lingo or some technicality, here, this person has aging parents, and rather than using his resources to care for them, he says, well, I would rather use my money in some other way, so I'm going to say that this portion of my income has been devoted to God. Therefore, because it's devoted to God, it cannot be used for mom and dad. And Jesus says, by withholding material support from your father and mother, you are disobeying the command to honor your father and mother. That kind of material support is something that only an adult child can offer to his older, aging parents. This command to honor your father and mother is not limited to minors. To go even one step further, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look at what Paul says. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 4, and then we'll skip down to verse 8. First Timothy 5, 4. If any widow has children or, or grandchildren even, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety, or you could say godliness, in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And then listen to this sobering statement in verse 8, just a few verses later. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is no getting away from the fifth commandment. If you are here and you have parents who are still living, or you have grandparents who are still living, on the authority of God's Word, God Himself has directed you, has directed me, to care for our parents and our grandparents. 
And to fail to do so or to refuse to do so is not merely a show of disrespect to our parents and grandparents. It is a disregard for God's command to His people. You are sinning against the God who saved you if you don't care for your parents. Why why would God give this command? Of all the things that you could put in ten commandments, ten is a small number. I mean, we've got a lot of other commandments that he'll get to later. But in terms of the ten, prioritizing, why put that one in the ten? Honor your father and mother. I get murder. I get adultery. I get theft, right? Why this one? I think we could say there are at least two reasons that we have a command like this. Number one is because it is from our parents that we learn our very first lessons about authority and submission. It is from parents that we get our first inkling of the fact that my existence is not self-determined. I did not bring myself into this world. Parents did that. I am not the one who knows what is best for my health and well-being. My parents do. It goes well for me when I obey and honor mom and dad. It does not go well for me when I do not honor and obey mom and dad. J.C. Ryle said, it should be no surprise to us that if men do not obey their earthly father, that they will not obey their spiritual father. One of the reasons that God has given this command to us is because it is one of the first ways that we come to grips with the concept of authority that is meant to be for the good of God's people. And He gives us, by His grace, these family units where we can see authority being exercised for the benefit of the family... And we can begin to get categories and concepts of the idea that authority, rightly used, is a good thing. For God to exercise authority as a father, as a compassionate mother over His people, that is a good thing. And it is to our destruction that we turn a deaf ear to the commands of our loving and merciful Heavenly Father. But precisely because this command is not just for those who are living under the authority of their parents in the home, but this command extends into the latter years of life. Another thing that this does is that it teaches us self-sacrifice and humble care. Even when a child grows into adulthood and moves out of the house and begins to make their own decisions by virtue of the fact that they are responsible to continue to honor their father and mother, or as Paul says, even their grandparents, is evidence or is a reminder of the fact that even when you are gaining more freedom and responsibility, it is not an autonomous freedom that you have. 
you are still part of a family. You are still part of a society, and you bear a responsibility to look after not just simply yourself, but to those who are your neighbor as well, of which your father and mother certainly count. Let me say just a word of encouragement to some of you in this room who know the challenges that come with honoring your father and mother into the latter years of their life. Some of you have had that experience. Some of you are in that experience right now. And it is not, it is not easy. Right? You start, you start talking about financial concerns, you start talking about health concerns, you start talking about dementia or Alzheimer's or terminal diseases, and yet because you recognize that there is a responsibility, a connection that you bear with your parents, with your grandparents until the day that the Lord takes them home or that He take you home, you recognize I have a responsibility to care for them. And so you go, whether it's day in or day out, or weekend after weekend, to help take care of the house, or to, or to visit, or to help with medications, or to talk with someone who doesn't even remember that you're their son or daughter. To you... I would say, your labor is not in vain. As Jesus himself said, to the extent that you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. If by faith, Desiring to follow Christ, desiring to show in some small, measured, even imperfect way the sacrificial love of Christ, you are sacrificially loving those who cannot care for themselves, who depend upon you. All of the time, all of the resources, all of the energy, all of the heartache, all of the sorrow, there will come a time when you will see that it was worth it. Don't stop. Let me say another word to people who, through no fault of their own, perhaps have had a father and mother that it has been difficult, if not impossible, to honor. Thinking primarily, or perhaps, and it's not limited to this, but thinking especially of situations where perhaps you grew up in an abusive home or you experienced neglect in any number of shapes or forms. How do you, how do you honor a father or mother who has not done what a father or mother should do even for their young children? even to the point that perhaps you still bear some burden or brokenness 
of their poor parenting? My simple answer is to say, I don't know how to give you a simple answer as to how you honor that kind of a parent. I will say this, though. In certain cases, it may be that the best way to honor that father or mother, that grandfather or grandmother, it may be that while you cannot honor them actively in the way that you would like, at the very least you can say, but I will not dishonor them. The best example of this that, that I've seen up close and personal has been from my father, or was from my father, and from my uncle and my aunt. Their dad, my grandfather, walked out on his marriage, walked out on them. We had very little contact or communication with, uh, with him because of where he ended up settling down in life. My entire life, my entire life, I never, never heard one unkind word from my father about his father. Not one. He did not, he did not dismiss the sin. He did not attempt to cover over it. But he did not dwell on it, and he did not infect his children and grandchildren with the burden that they had to bear. In certain cases, it may be that the very best thing that you can do with parents who are not particularly deserving of honor is by God's grace to simply say, God, help me not to dishonor them. Let me not bear any sort of false witness or poor report in the ears of their grandchildren or other friends. If I cannot say anything positive, Father, put a guard on my tongue so that I at least don't say anything negative. And the Father is pleased with that. Last thing that we want to do, just in these last couple minutes, we want to look at the expansion of the fifth commandment for God's new covenant people. Turn from Exodus 20 to Mark chapter 3, and then we're going to flip over to Mark chapter 10. Mark 3, 31 through 35 is where we're going to start. Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's in a house teaching. The house is packed, standing room only. No one can get in or out. And in Mark 3, 31, we read, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
and then turn over to Mark chapter 10. Start at verse 28. Peter began to say to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, in the age to, and in the age to come, eternal life. If the fifth command to honor your father and mother is without age limit, it's also without, by the time we get to the New Testament, it's also without a DNA limitation. By virtue of the fact that in Christ, by His Spirit, we have been united to our Lord and Savior, and in being united to Him, united to one another, because we are of the household of faith, Jesus says, all those who keep my word, all those who follow me, they become your family. They become your father and mother and sister and brother. So if you happen to be here this morning and you're looking around and you're not sure how you in your natural born relationships carry out the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother, I would say, I think Jesus himself would say, look around. Do you see someone in this room, in this midst, in this congregation that would count as something like a spiritual mother or father to you? Can you find those people? Can you identify them? If so, go honor them. Young people, teenagers, young adults, not so young adults. If your Christianity, if your faith has no sense or no capacity or range in which you see it necessary or good to help someone who is 20, 30, 50 years older than you, you may need to think much longer and harder on the implications of your faith. Considering that Jesus himself cared for his mother even in his dying moments to say, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Because Jesus himself said, anyone who does the will of my father, I count as my father, mother, sister, and brother. If you are not willing to help other people to honor older men and women in this congregation, you may not understand the gospel as well as you think you do.
One of the things that God is doing, and we'll end here, one of the things that God is doing by giving us the fifth command to honor your father and mother is that he is making it clear that the household of faith, that this community that has been created out of a redemptive work of God by his grace ought to not only uphold basic normal patterns of a healthy society, but ought to go even much further than that to bear witness to the limitless grace of God in caring for the needs and the interests of those around us. This church, any church, with members bound to one another, should count it a privilege to look for and to find ways to honor our spiritual fathers and mothers, whether that be in giving them a ride, whether that be in giving them a ride to the grocery store, doing yard work, sitting down and talking, giving time, giving a listening ear, whatever it may be. That is normal Christian life. And that kind of Christian life resounds to the praise and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we fall so short of obeying any of these commands as we should. Every Sunday that we have spent Looking at another commandment is another reminder of our inadequacies and our deficiencies. But Father, once again, we want to close this time acknowledging the fact that even in our deficiencies, that you have given us your spirit, not simply to point out areas in which we need to be convicted and we need to be corrected, but to also give us the desire, the will, the ability to do those acts of obedience in a way that would please you and in a way that would serve those neighbors that we refer to as father and mother. So, Father, I ask that for all of us here that you would not only bring to our minds and our hearts those places in which we need to do a better job honoring fathers and mothers, but that you would also then, because of the fullness of life that we have in Christ, remind us that all that we need for life and godliness has already been granted to us, and that simply by asking for growth and maturity, you will give us the ability to enhance our obedience for your glory and for our joy. Father, we ask that this community, this congregation here at Edgewood, would continue to grow in our ability to show honor and respect to those who have gone before us, and so that we are also modeling for those who will come after us what this looks like in daily living. We pray this in your name. Amen.